All right, Veritas, welcome to our podcast. Uh, we're here again with Matthew and Nathan. This is Jake, and we get to talk about the church today and vacations. Mm-hmm. It's uh, vacation season with some people. Summertime tend to be more vacations. When you guys think back, best vacation you've ever been on? I feel like I'm just learning how to not do vacations that are go, go, go. You know what I'm talking about? Like some vacations, the goal is I'm going to land in this place and we're just going to do everything. So we took a a quick trip when we were living in Albania to Italy. And it's like, all right, we have three days in Rome. We're going to do everything all day in Rome and still not see everything. Rome in three days. Right. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. And then Florence in two days, which it was sweet. It was a great time. But we left like exhausted and like there's no way we could have seen everything. But what... Some people love to vacation that way. Let's yeah. go just do as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. But then you need a vacation from your vacation. Exactly. Yes. Oh and gosh. recently we just uh, actually got to go to Palm Springs. My wife's boss let us stay in our guest house. And so we could spend the money on doing fun stuff that way. And we went to this hot springs spa and sat in a hot springs for like four or five hours reading books. And it was awesome. Of course. Of course you sat in a spa reading sat books. It was so good, hot man. And <laughs> so <red books>. good. <laughs> That does not sound like a good time to me, but <laughs> I'm glad you had fun. There's no fish guts involved, so you weren't happy about it. Well, if I could throw a line of their fish in the hot springs? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, my favorite, I th- I've just been thinking about it. I hate vacations, too, that are just booked out. So you're like, I'm doing more planning here than I do regularly in life. I think uh, my favorite vacation was riding with my wife across the state of South Dakota. Um, it was awesome. We got to start in the Badlands and just see just the terrain there. And we didn't necessarily go do touristy stuff because uh, it was out of the way, but it was just a really awesome state. Did camping, um, yeah, five or six days across. So you biked for five days across. That was your vacation. That was my vacation, yeah. Restful. Yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. Saddle sores, all that. Yeah. Sitting on a bike seat. When I ride my bike to work sometimes, I feel like, yeah, I don't think the human body's meant for this. <laughs> yeah, once you like surpass about fifteen thousand miles, it it's doable. Your body's <laughs> it's broken doable. to the point where yeah, it's, it's fine. just broke. It yeah. knows. Okay, we're doing this. <laughs> Surrender. Yeah, yeah. No, what, we, what we were you? well practiced, so we were good to go. Yeah, yeah you put a lot of miles in your. Body. How do you vacation, Jake? Oh, well, I, I've told you before. I love my boundary water trips. I think my most favorite vacation I've ever been on when I was, I believe, in fifth grade. Our family with a couple other families. Uh, went and we canoed the Smith River in Montana, and it was it was amazing. It was an adventure. There were storms. Like our tent got completely bent up and blown out. We lost some canoes. One canoe flipped, and it got this aluminum canoe got wrapped around a rock, like bent in half. So we had to double. It was it was adventurous. It was That's dangerous sweet. in a fun way, and caught good fish and seen great scenery, and it was a good time. Yeah. I always remember as a kid. I might date myself here, but like. We did some great traveling just a few times, but we had the old station wagon with pleather. Yeah. And then did the you have it where the back seat faced yeah, backwards? Yeah. Yeah. So who gets Ford it? The Taurus. two littlest kids. Yeah. And so you're out in the back. You're the last ones to reach the AC. <laughs> uh, and you're just baking in the pleather and uh, <laughs> just driving because that's what Midwesterns, West, Midwesterners do. We just drive, we and drive. hours and hours. In the car. When yeah. you guys went on vacation, did you ever uh, go to church? Like, okay, it's it's vacation, but we're still going to church. Not really. No, I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, we would go to church most often, I believe. 
if I recall. You'd just find a church wherever you're at, you'd go to it. Yeah, I think my parents would do a little bit of research in the area or check with connections or whatever and hear about one that was kind of upper alley, and so we would head over there. Yeah. Yep, pretty consistently. Did you do Boundary Waters Church or what? We did. We would do our own little, well, let's not call it church. We would have a little Bible study on, on a rock and on Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, but if we were gone over the weekend, you're not really heading to a church out in the middle of Boundary Waters. But uh, So you said, let's not call it a church. That kind of... You just teed us up to talk today. I don't know if you want to go there. Let's but. do it. Let's talk about the church. We all work at a church. Uh, we love the church, but perhaps there's misunderstandings of what is a church, what's not a church, or a negative connotation. It's easy to rip on the church. People can say, well, the church is this way and um, or that way and struggles with this. It can be paint with a broad brush, but let's have a better understanding of the church and hopefully fall more in love with it, the better we understand it. So, so that you would want to go on vacation. Right? You'd want to find a church when you go on vacation. I don't want people to take this podcast. So we got to go to church if we're going on vacation. Enjoy vacation. But we want you to understand the church and be a part of a church. So let's let's get to it. Uh, what? Let's start basic. What is a church? That It's so helpful to define as what, because I've been in context with Christians and everyone... like. Multiple different times, people are like, well, we're kind of like a church here, right? We're all Christians. And I think there's some fundamental misunderstandings of how the New Testament talks about church. And it starts from this idea of like universal and local church. You guys have heard those terms, right? Universal is like all believers, all time, in Christ's presence, saved by God. And local church is the local body expression of that. And we can fudge those categories sometimes where it's like, well, I'm part of the universal church, so do I really need to show up to a local place? But even, this is like a weird linguistic pet peeve, the word church in Greek means gathering. It, it, sometimes in the Bible it's used for a mob or a group of people gath- just like gathering together. And so it's, it's a gathering of people on a fundamental level. And so if I, if I say I'm part of the universal church, God kind of uses that metaphor of all those believers that are gathered in Jesus' presence built off of the gathering locally. It's like you can see the local, that helps you understand the spiritual reality. And we sort of flip-flop those and go, yeah, there's a spiritual reality, but but the local doesn't really. It's a gathered group of believers. Yeah. Like, so it, was, it wasn't a religious term. It was a, a, like voting members. Yep. You mentioned a mob. It's yep. the same word gets used to describe a mob that goes after Paul. Do you think we should just call ourselves the Veritas mob instead? That That's <laughs> mobbing around. Yeah, mobbing with my mob. friends. See how that marketing scheme works? <laughs> I, I love, though, in, in 1 Timothy... Paul is writing a letter to Timothy to help him understand the church. How's the church work? What's it about? What's it supposed to do? And he says in 1 Timothy 3, 14, 15, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So he's he's using the primary metaphor of family and household to help understand. And so a family has like roles and structure. There's there's a mom and dad, you know, all those things. A family has rhythms and traditions. A family gathers together, like you meet together, you share meals, those kinds of things. The church is a lot more like a family than it is like anything else, at least in the New Testament. And so other pictures we get are, it's a body with different members and different functions, things like that. It's the bride of Christ that's gathering together. But the, the what essentially is, a church is a gathering of Christians together under Jesus' authority, with the authority Jesus has given, 
for the purpose of the believers. I mean, we'll get into why a little bit, I think, but um, for the purpose of the believers living out their identity and living out their mission. So right? more under what the church, like what what things need to exist in a church for a church or a gathered group of believers to be faithful and be able to say that we are a local church? Um, I think some of the what is authority structure, and I know authority is kind of like a bad term in our context, but you can't get anywhere in the New Testament without understanding that. And um, Jesus is the great shepherd, and he puts under shepherds, which are elders, right? That's, again, Paul like takes pains in his last letters to Timothy to go, you need elders there. You need people who are spiritually tasked with loving and shepherding and helping the church grow to maturity. So a leadership structure. Yep, that's a big thing. You need you need elders to lead the church. Okay, yeah. what else? Yeah, you need the community to be there. I mean, I think when you look at what the you know, chief hand of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so as you're learning and growing, like there's some form of a structure. And I think the beauty of the local church, the what of that is just that local culture that you can engage with as you're discipling the people. I think the Bible is essential. You can't have a church without the Bible. So we're we're not just a gathered group of people. We're a gathered group of people who belong to Jesus. Yeah. So we're the church mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. So yeah. we got to get the gospel right. That's right. We got yep. the the word of God has to be yep. uh, driving that gathering. Mm-hmm. So you need leaders. You need God's word and His gospel message. Mm-hmm. You need God's mission. Yep. Like mm-hmm. we have some intentionality that. That's not like we just get together and be like, so what do you guys want to be about? Totally. Like, the church mission has been defined. And John Calvin tried to summarize it a little bit in going anywhere where the, the word is rightly preached, meaning like the gospel and who God is, what he's about. And he, he would say the ordinances are rightly practiced, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Essentially, he's talking about the authority structure and how do you know who's in, who's out, yeah. right? Because in a family, there's an in and an out, right? Jake, Matthew, I'm not part of your family the same way you guys are. We're family in Christ, but... If I just kind of like barge into your family Thanksgiving or whatever, you'd be like, I didn't invite you. Nathan, going? you're always welcome. Thanks, Jake. That's that small town <laughs> thing that I'm still not used to. Like, Nathan, yeah, just you're chill. always welcome at Jake's house. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, to your point, Jake, like the gospel and the word shapes everything about our life and practice. And that has some clear implications for how do we organize ourselves? What are we doing when we're together? Not just a social club, but on mission for God. So the what we get from that New Testament, we don't just get to make it up. Hmm. I heard one person give an illustration of, it would be like a hockey player saying, hey, I play hockey. And you say, oh, what team are you on? It's like, oh, I don't have a team. I just was like, well, I don't think you really play hockey then. Um, For a Christian, be like, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, what church you go to is a valid question to follow up. And it's like, I don't really go to church. Uh, Was it St. Augustine that said, every Christian that calls their God their father needs church as their mother or something like that. Mm. I murdered St. Augustine's quote there. But <laughs> it's just dead. the it's necessity of the church and the Christian's life. Well, and I think that's more and more important this day and age. I mean, for folks wrestling with COVID and coming back from COVID and the options that you have online and the podcasts that you have, like, to no end, you have options of really great pastors out there. And so you have to ask yourself, what am I doing with that local body of Christ and being in community? Yeah. So when we think of what is a church, the name, the word, the Greek word, ekklesia, we get for that is a gathered group of people. So you got to get together. You gotta, you gotta be together. You gotta gather. You need leaders. Paul stressed to Timothy, like set up elders in every place. There's, there's a certain level of organized functionality and and authority in a local church. You, 
you preach the Bible and you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're a church of Jesus Christ, um, and you're on the mission of God that God has set for his gather. So that's that's the church. Why? Like, wh- why does it exist, one, like, why did God establish that, and then why do individuals really need to buy in and lean into it? Yeah, I would I would say that the people need to buy into it. We need to buy into it for the sake of our own souls. I mean, for our sake of our growth. I was just looking up First uh, Peter. It talks about you know, um, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And there's this picture, just like Nathan referred to earlier, of the family. And so within a family, you have different maturity levels there. And so you have headship represented in the family, and you have support represented in the family, and you have brotherhood and sisterhood represented in the family, and you have different people in different places. And so as you gather together um, consistently at this place, you have the opportunity for people to intimately know who you are. And therefore, they know your weaknesses, and they can celebrate your strengths. And so each of us has been given a gift. You know, in the scriptures as well, it talks about us as a body, and some are gifted in some areas. I can't say to the eye, I don't need you, or the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Uh, it it hampers um, our growth and our movement as a church. And so as we're in the church, we also struggle with weaknesses. And I think one of the most valuable things is to be committed to a group of people who will both confront me, and not in a nasty way, don't take confront the wrong way, but who will constantly like watch for me and watch for my spiritual growth, watch for fruit of the Spirit in me, and challenge me in areas of weakness. They're going to know me the best. I mean, it's difficult sometimes when you, know, when you think about family dynamics, when a brother or sister confronts you, but really they know you the best and they see the weaknesses. And so in this community, a committed community, like, they're not going to duck out on you. They're going to walk with you through the things. They're going to bear one another's burdens. They're going to bear your burden with you and challenge you and so, walk through that argument. Yeah, you mentioned the eye and the hand, or eye saying to the hand, or the from First Corinthians 12. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, the individual needs the church for their own growth, their own accountability, and to be spurred on, and to live in the community. And we all have blind spots, and we need to kind of put ourselves in that context where this is the place God wants me to grow and to develop, but also the church needs the group, collective body, for its effectiveness. Because one of the things I love of 1 Corinthians 12 is all these body parts, like we can do more together than we can do apart. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes in American individualism, it's just like, I want my own ministry. Let me do my own thing. But what God has called us to is like, no, do something together. Like that's church, like work together. And I think in a a lot of contexts, us sitting around the table, we know the people that are like, hey, I've got my own thing. I'm starting my own thing, whatever. I think for the average everyday Christian, you might not feel like you're that gifted you might not feel like you got that much to contribute, but God is looking at you going like, no, I love you. I loved you enough to give my son for you. I've given you my spirit and I'm gifting you to be part of my mission. And the way you get to see and express those things is through the local church. So I, I'm again, I think we know the kind of the believers that are like Lone Ranger, I'm going to do my own thing. We know a lot of them because we have conversations with them. I think the average person showing up on a Sunday morning might feel like, I don't know if I have much to contribute. And being part of the local church is actually a vital way that you do that. And and the just interactions of body life, you get to use the gifts God's given you for his glory, for his kingdom. Well, and I think about like the local church is a great way to fight the individualism that you mentioned. I think 
uh, from my experiences with my little bit of travel, like individualism reigns in the United States in particular. And so combating that with being unified in Christ. I mean, when you consider what your eye does and what your hand does, they're two very different things. And so you each have different passions, but that unity in Christ is on display to the world. But it can also help me think about another area that I, I, have, I don't think about as often, or I'm not as passionate about some, some area of ministry. And while it still may not be my passion after learning about it, I can be aware of it and be concerned about it too. And I wouldn't do that without the body of Christ. Yeah. One, one of the other reasons I would encourage somebody to wholeheartedly be a part of a local church is it's the winning team. I mean, at the end of the day, this is God's plan A uh, to do his work in the world. Like I go back to Matthew 16, I believe the first time we, we see this word church Jesus is saying, you know, that I'm going to build my church. Um, and the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that imagery is so powerful because gates are defensive protection, which means the church is on the offensive. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to build something with my people, and it's unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that because you have like 11 guys getting the Great Commission to take the gospel everywhere. And that happened, like it's, it continues to be successful despite the, the context it's in, the country it's in, the opposition it faces, like the church just always wins and will win um, through Jesus Christ when it's all said and done. So be on the winning team, that's what I would advocate. I think one thing that's important, like when you say that, think about what the church did for each other. They practiced the theology they had. They knew that God was sovereign, and so they could sell their possessions to like fuel the church to take care of their brothers and sisters in Christ. As you see acts like that, that historical story of how it went from 11 guys and spread around the known world at the time. You see people, because of the theology that they believed, because of the sovereignty of God, because of the Word of God, because of the display of humility of Christ, they, they, they could give and they could act and they could step out in faith, even to the point of death. And that's what the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is. And they weren't doing it alone. Like, yeah. they knew that if I sell my field and I'm out... Um, you know, and hopefully they did it wisely. I'd guess they did, but nonetheless, they still had other people to fall back on. There was this community, not a government-ordained thing. It was this body of Christ that was passionate about spreading the word, and there was brothers and sisters doing it too, and they would give me their shirt, and that person would give me their shirt, and we would just go. Yeah, and it's important that we don't look at the church with rose-colored glasses, because that, that... Like, we get crushed under our own idealistic view of it. Even when you look into the New Testament, people are like, why can't we be more like the church in the New Testament? It's like, Paul's constantly addressing problems they're having. Like, we're never absent of problems in the church. We're all sinners that are struggling with their own pride and insecurities and jealousies. Um, You're going to have problems in a church. You're going to have struggles. But it's still, I think one person, uh, I, I don't know who said this, but, you compared the church like Noah's Ark. It's like the reason you stand the stink inside is because of the destruction outside. Mm-hmm. Um, Oof. So, yeah, that's key. But I think one thing that this is, I was taken back by this. I heard someone say, you know, when you think about some of the 
New Testament churches, the church in Ephesus doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Paul started that church. You look at the work he did, and Timothy was involved, and all these great people, and it doesn't exist. Um, some of the churches, you know, in the letters in the Revelation, um, they're, they're not there anymore. And so it's morphed and changed and spread across the world. And I think, you know, you I've heard it said, too, um, you know, a hospital is a place for sick people, and the church is a place for brokenness, and even to the leading people, and it's continued to plague us. Sin plagues us. Yeah, it's Imagine a bit that. arrogant when you look at sin in the church and just be like, I can't be here. You yeah. should probably see and be like, yeah, I fit in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Or like, is there anywhere else you should be? Is yeah. there anywhere better? Like, what club can you join that has fewer sinful people? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, advocating, like, the church is the place to be. Uh, it's not perfect yet, um, but it is God's chosen plan uh, for for spreading the gospel in this world. So how how do you do church? So you have what is the church, um, but when you say like, hey, let's let's do some church here. What what does that mean? How does the church function? Yeah, I think Matthew, you brought up the church in Acts. I think Acts is written as a description of what happened, not necessarily a, a rule book or a manual. But yeah. I, I think it's supposed to increase our expectations. Like, we're supposed to read it and go, oh, it could look something like this. And so from the early days in Acts 2, you see the believers, Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it's like, how do we do church? We gather around the Word. They and to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Okay? Like, communion that we practice, but also, like, meeting together in households. Um, some of what they do is they go to the temple and they also go to each other's houses. So there's this rhythm of we gather together as a big group and then we also meet in smaller groups together. So uh, some of those things, if, you, if you're around Veritas, you're starting to think like, oh yeah, we, we kind of do some of these things. I think the average person, I think we'll, we'll talk about like how do you thrive at Veritas in particular, but I th- some of the basic things are show up and hear the word preached and then get together with other believers and try to figure out how to live and practice that. Um, again, if, if what we talked about, the what of a church, if those things are present, part of the how do you do church is you, you show up and participate in those things. And the individual responsibility we see in the New Testament looks like the one and others a lot of the time, where it's like, hey, encourage each other. Okay, so that's, that's taking the stuff that God's been teaching me and trying to speak that grace and truth from God to another believer, or challenge, rebuke, correct each other hey, if we've been gathering together at church and heard the message preached, and then we go and talk about it in life, and your life's not lining up in grace, I, I'm i going to talk about that with you and and try to pull you back to the yeah. gospel. It, sometimes people, and I, I love innovation. I love, like, let's think, how can we make things better? What's new ideas? But uh, we can't forget the simplicity of, okay, what what happens when a church gathers? There's some basics. We preach, we sing. We live in community. That hasn't changed for over 2,000 years. Yep. I don't care what else happens in the world when it talks about innovating the church. I bet if we're still here in 100 years, churches are going to be preaching and singing and living in community. And no matter where in the world or what language, like that's just what we do as a body. And I love the fact that, like, yeah, I, I love preaching. Like, we're kind of some preaching nerds around the table here. But um, even as people have tried to innovate preaching, you keep coming back to like, no, actually, throughout the whole Bible, God's declared who he is. It's not a discussion. And then he gives us the word to submit to. And throughout the Bible, again, you see people preaching because it's like, 
hey, this is a message we respond to, not just something we kind of debate and, and ooh, that's interesting, let's think about that. And so not that any of us that get up on a Sunday have authority in ourselves, mm-hmm. but we have authority as much as we're like saying what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And so the church, some of how you do church is together we sit under God's word and we respond to what he's telling us. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to how to do church, it's like, all right, you got, you got to have leaders, you got to have elders established. Um, you need to uh, be on God's mission. You need to rely on God's truth. Um, and you need to function like God's people uh, to each other. Why you need to do that is because this is, well, it's commanded. We need each other for our own sanctification. And we need each other for the effectiveness of ministry, that we can do more together than we can do apart. Mm-hmm. Jesus brought us together. He gathered us together to be on mission together. How you do that, like participate, right? Come, engage in the, the life of the church, lean into it. Um, how, so if somebody is going to come to Veritas uh, and be a part of this church, and we say like, all right, we're going to give you some tips how to thrive here. Um, and, and maybe that would not just apply here, but apply in any church. How, how does an individual thrive in a local church? What kind of attitude and perspective do they need to have? Well, I think the thing that complicates churches and I think makes us look like, you know, a black and blue institution is where we get caught off guard in the preference area of church. And so I think as you're going to a church desiring to plug in, like, listen for the preaching of the word, like, see how the people treat one another, you know, are they loving each other like Christ loved, you know, are they pursuing truth, are they in community together, like going, like bypassing some of the preferential and like going, like go for the core things. Like if you walk out of church every Sunday feeling awesome, maybe they're not preaching well, you know, maybe, but like going and asking, like that is essential to come to the table, um, first off, pursuing that unity in Christ, pursuing the unity in Christ. And I think some of it too, for any church, I think it does get nuanced when you're talking about a particular church with programs or whatever, or the mission that they're on. But I think for any church, showing up is so crucial. And that sounds silly, but the definition of being a regular attender or even um, like someone who would say, yeah, Veritas is my home church in our culture is so um, shifted. So it, it used to be, um, we're talking, you know, New Testament and, and throughout history until very recently. It was like, yeah, every Sunday, this is what we do. And these days, I I think people would define regular attendance by once a month, once every six weeks, something like that as a national average. If you want to thrive at at your church, go every week and make it a priority. Like, and, and that's not a law. It's not like, oh, God loves me because of my attendance. But it's like, no, I'm, I'm putting myself in a place to be healthy, to be sitting under the word, to encounter God's people, to worship God. So a big part of it is show up there and then show up to the context that your local church has to help you grow in those things. So it could be connection groups. In our, in our context, that's a big one for finding shepherding, right? If you want to be shepherded at Veritas, connection groups are that, that main hub that, that you go to if you want shepherding in your life. I think, I think, we we go there right away, so I'm going to rabbit trail, okay? I We go to the thing, and many of us have been maybe in church your whole life. Your grandma put your her gun to her head, your head and said, you're getting up, let's go, right? Your grandma had a gun? Uh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> do it in That's what we do, right? But I mean, that tension is there, but I, I would say, like, really evaluate your heart to 
you have the opportunity to worship. You have the opportunity to worship. Like, I deserve hell, and God has saved me. And so then he's provided me with a community that will spur me on in knowing him. And so I have the opportunity to go and sing, whether it be hymns, whether it be modern-day hymns or whatever. I have the opportunity to go and worship with a bunch of people who also deserved hell, and God did something in their life. Yeah, and that's one concern when we think of making disciples, being in a a next-generation context where you're dealing with college kids. Um, and I think we've been blessed in some, I don't know if superficial is the right way, but we have we have talented musicians, we have a great facilities. Um, not making arrogant church attenders where, okay, you graduate and you got a, a job in a small town Iowa, and it's like, oh, all these churches are not, quote, good enough. And it's like, well, do they preach the Bible? Do yes. they sing truth? Do they have yes. godly leadership? Then it's a church that you should love and be a part of and um, not to think that that's beneath you or just fall in love to the methodology. And a lot of thriving looks like how can I love and serve this context, not how can this context love and serve me better. Yes. I think there's a paradox. Like if you come to a church and say, okay, doctrinally check, you know, preach the Bible, check godly leadership, check. All right. This is the church I'm going to be. There's a paradox where if you go in as a customer you're going to be frustrated eventually leave. We see this happen so many times. Like, why did you leave? And you get to listen. This, nobody talked to me on how I was doing. No, there wasn't a ministry that helped me in this area. It was very consumeristic mm-hmm. based. And it's like, if you come into a church in the position of a consumer, I guarantee you, you will get frustrated, you will hate your church, and you'll eventually leave. Mm-hmm. But the paradox is, if you come into a church as a servant, and you be like, who can I bless? Mm-hmm. How can I serve? Mm-hmm. Who can I help? You will love your church, and you will feel, this is the paradox, you will feel loved by your church, too. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's different ways to approach it, and, and one is one is going to be messy and not end well, and one's going to be like, how did I, this is the best church, and you just, you went in like a servant. And particularly for people wanting to thrive at Veritas, I think our kind of crazy is just maybe different than some of the other um, church models in our city, and that's not saying ours is better at all, just our kind of crazy is like, hey, we're going to have fewer programs and fewer events for you to come to. Not because we don't want you to be trained or equipped like we're doing an equipping pod. Like, we want you to be equipped. We're trying to find ways to do that. But we're also trying to shape the kind of people that are on mission. And so you don't have time to live at the local church seven days a week because you're trying to share the gospel with your neighbors. You're meeting with your connection group. You're you're in each other's homes and doing life together. And so some of our kind of crazy, like thriving at Veritas, looks like buying into that organic kind of ministry and not necessarily expecting the church to run as many programs as you might get in another context. Again, hear me say this. This is not because we're better or we figured it out or this is the only way to do it, but because for us, for the mission God's given us and, and the the DNA he's given us, if you're a mature disciple, if you're an everyday missionary, you don't have time to be at seven, you know, seven different things at the church a week, right? Like, and we, we specifically try to even look at our calendar to make sure we're not overloading you to come every day of the week, because we want time for you to be in the places God's put you to be an everyday missionary. And so that's some of that paradox here as well. Someone and just to up- flesh that out a little bit, because, you know, I think we say that a lot too, like we want um, the guy or gal, the the husband or wife, father, mother, to be to be the coach. Like, how great is it to have, you know, twenty kids um, under a coach that really values them as image bearers and is just engaging with them at that level too? And then for the potential conversations that are going to come out of that. So, just fleshing out what you were just saying there. 
Yeah, it, even just as a parent, it's like, yeah, I'm the primary discipler of my kids, mm-hmm. and I need the church. Yeah. My kids need other godly adults' voice in their life. They need peer community. That's like, you just we need each other. Um, we're going to be better together if we embrace that and this, really lean into it. So we're kind of we're kind of putting out a funny thing where we we don't want Lone Ranger Christians because we see the incredible value that the church has, but we also don't want Christians that are so dependent on us running programs that you can't like function in the mission God's given you. So, so it is a funny tension that we're trying to create, but it seems like that's the way that Christians function through most of church history, mm-hmm. right? And again, hear me say this. If you're from a church context and really benefited and thrive from a bunch of programs, that's great. Praise God. Mm-hmm. And to thrive at Veritas is going to look like a different set of expectations and a different set of norms. Mm-hmm. But we hope in that process that'll actually be, that'll raise you up in maturity and increase your mission. Every yeah, day. For sure. So Veritas, we want you to understand that the local church is God's plan A, and there's nothing better worth giving your life to, uh, to be a part of his family on his mission together. Uh, so we invite you to do that, but we want you to understand the Bride of Christ is, is beautiful, despite the messiness that happens sometimes in it. Uh, and we would say to thrive uh, in a local church, to get out of the seat of a consumer uh, and sit in the seat of a servant and have eyes open to bless others. And that is the paradox where you find yourself loving your church. Uh, we love this church. We love you. And I uh, hope this was helpful. 